0: listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Now you're very very welcome back to our Honest to God series on the World of Empowerment Radio. This is Ahanu and with me is Angel Rose. And Angel Rose over the last few weeks we've been pondering a big question about our existence here on planet earth angelos haven't we when we talk about having to learn through adversity. You know how we've gone like through... Like
1: living th- in Redmond, Oregon? <laughs> like
0: living living where we are in the freezing cold. We've just come from, <laughs> for our listeners who wouldn't be aware of that, we've just come from California where the temperatures, even at this time of the year, and we're in November now, the, the temperatures are in the 70s, yeah. Nice. And, and it's very, very nice uh, temperature. But here where we are at the foothills of the Cascades, we're looking at snow on the mountains and frost on the cars and on the roofs every single day. And we're thinking about this. This is adversity. <laughs> yeah, What are we doing? What have we got to learn here? And why do we have to learn through adversity? So we've been exploring these kinds of questions. And as we were exploring these questions, we were intrigued to find that there is an author out there by the name of Blake Bauer. And he has written a book by the name of You Were Not Born to Suffer and we were intrigued by this because we're very much into the whole idea of of synchronicity and coincidence and so on and for that reason it became necessary for, for us to get hold of this book and it has a subtitle Love Yourself Back to Inner Peace, Health, Happiness and Fulfillment. So we were overjoyed to find this and to find that we don't have to learn
2: through adversity.
1: So we can't wait to hear what Blake has to tell us. So, Blake, are you there?
2: Yes, I am.
1: And Blake, where are you calling us from?
2: I'm actually in Perth, Western Australia at the moment, where it's six o'clock in the morning.
0: Oh, dear. Well, now, good for you for taking the time to speak to us because I do know that our listeners will be intrigued by what you have to tell us about not being born to suffer. But before you do that, let me just give people a little bit of background about you, Blake. You are an internationally recognized author, counselor, and alternative medicine practitioner. And your best selling book, You Were Not Born to Suffer, is based on loving yourself unconditionally as the key to healing yourself, fulfilling your life's purpose and realizing your full potential both personally and professionally. Now based on your training with spiritual teachers, healers and masters from all over the world, you practice and teach various forms of meditation, Qigong, Qigong energy medicine and Dao Yin which is a health and longevity yoga. And your formal education includes traditional Chinese medicine, five element Chinese medicine, nutritional medicine, herbal healing, psychology, past life regression, therapy hypnosis, and various other forms of traditional healing and alternative medicine. And bringing together the most effective spiritual practices and holistic approaches to health and being, your work and your teachings have successfully guided thousands of people internationally towards greater psychological, emotional, physical, financial, and spiritual freedom. Now, this is another person, Angel Rose, who is showered with these gifts of various healing and teaching modalities. Remember, we had somebody on last week by the name of Mary Heath, and Mary also was highly qualified in all areas of healing. So we're very, very pleased that you're with us, Blake. Can you give us a little bit of background of how you brought all of those healing modalities into the form of presenting it as a book? What was the driving force behind behind the book.
2: Thank you, um, Ahanu. Um, Well, it's a loaded question, really. I think the the ultimate driving force was destiny, like the, I guess the ultimate driving force in any of our lives. And then in a practical sense, for me, it was just a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. When I was a teenager, I got heavily into drugs and alcohol and became quite addicted and self-destructive in an attempt to numb myself to the mental and emotional pain that I was experiencing that I was not aware of and instinctually looking for some relief from. And by 18, I had basically hit rock bottom. I had been arrested quite a few times for uh, selling drugs and drug possession. Um, I was a very good athlete. I played American football and was a, a captain of my football team as you know, at seventeen and eighteen and was kicked off the football team when I had offers to play in college and university and um, I was kicked off of that team. And I had a girlfriend at the time who I pushed away and hurt very deeply and broke her heart and broke my heart as well. Um, so by 18, I had pushed away everyone and everything that I cared about. And those parts of my life really were tied up with my identity mm. uh, and my ego and and that shattered. So I you know, lost or who I was died in a sense, who I thought I was died. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went from, from being quite arrogant and, and thinking I was invincible to ex- being extremely insecure, lost and confused. And between that suffering, and then the pressure of trying to figure out what to do with my life as, uh, as an 18 year old young man, um, two questions arose in my heart, which was, you know, how do I free myself from this suffering? Because I'm, I was quite tortured in my mind and quite tortured in my heart. And why did I come to the planet? You know, what is, what is the purpose of my life? And that those two questions took me to five different universities and to studying with a number of spiritual masters and teachers, as well as to lots of workshops and professional trainings. And um, and then eventually through my own realizations, I had realized that everything that I had studied and experienced and done and spent money on was simply me learning how to love myself and looking for love. And when I realized that all suffering and so all disease and all depression was the result of us never learning how to love ourselves as children Mm -hmm. and still not knowing how to love ourselves practically today, I felt in my heart, I had to share this message with as many people as I could. And then the natural progression of that idea was a book. And then, yeah, so I so that I published the book and it's now helped thousands of people and i'm expecting it to help millions of people um and that's kind of a synopsis of of how it came to be
1: so blake you know this this whole process of loving ourselves so can you tell us what you've realized loving yourself is and where do you think people have the biggest difficulty or why do you think they
2: have the biggest difficulty Absolutely. Uh, So there's a lot of layers to it, but in the end, I feel it comes back to learning how to express what we're feeling, what we want, and what we need in the present in every situation and every relationship. And the biggest obstacle to that is our fear because we all have quite a bit of fear and insecurity that that lives in our body and we're, we're used to living with that. So we often stop ourselves from expressing what we feel and what we want and what we need in our primary relationship. So to our partner or spouse, to our parents, to our children, to our boss, um, and we stop ourselves out of fear, And that fear is tied up with a a belief that we're going to lose love, that we're going to lose approval, that we're going to lose acceptance, that we're going to lose security or safety. Um, So most of us just internalize a great deal of that inner world on a daily basis. And we've been doing it for years and we don't realize it. And then it's not until we get sick or we have a car accident or we get uh, betrayed by somebody. Or take it advantage that we think, okay, something's not working, this is quite painful. Um, I need to to look at, you know, how did I create this or what am I doing in this situation to attract this? And that to me is really at the heart of how we love ourselves and then every other aspect of not loving ourselves is tied up with that. So Mm -hmm. to me, that's the source of self-criticism, low self-esteem, limiting beliefs, uh, feeling sorry for ourselves, um, and and I'm sure we'll get deeper Mm and deeper into that.
0: Yes. Now, many people ask the question, Blake, and they've asked us many times too about loving yourself. And their question revolves around it being a selfish thing to do. Can you, can you address that about how can self-love
2: not be selfish? Okay, well this yeah this is a really important question. So I am of the mind that everyone is selfish and that if you think you're not selfish then you are misperceiving yourself and your your drives. So I like to use the example of a parent and i ask people to think about their own parents and think about why they had children or why they had you why they conceived and birthed you and if you're a parent yourself you can you can ask yourself why did i conceive and birth my child and the reason why i use this example is because a parent is the archetypal martyr you know the person who sacrifices the most for someone else Mm -hmm. and socially we tend to associate that that, associate that more with the mother than with the father but it's often true for both parties Mm -hmm. and if you dissect this you'll see that the only reasons why people have children are selfish and they are you know I want to have a child it's my dream to have a child I want to have a family I want to do better than my parents did Um, I don't know what else to do with my life my body clock is ticking And then in more than half the case, children are conceived by accident. And when children are conceived by accident, which, again, is very often but often not talked about, that's because, you know, people were just wanting to have sex or make love or feel beautiful. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to feel beautiful, to feel desirable, to have pleasure, again, all selfish drives. Mm-hmm. No no one says and 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 this is, you know, lighthearted, no one says I want to give up the next 20 years of my life to meet the needs of another human being that will most likely take me for granted and then blame me for all of their problems. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. So, so nobody nobody signs up for that and so i use this example to demystify the idea that we are not selfish creatures because we are all selfish creatures but the, the the problem is this perception that there's something wrong with that and that that's not natural yeah. and i use i use the example of an apple tree If you think about an apple tree, if it does not selfishly take up nutrients and water from the ground and sunlight from its leaves and carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, then it can't produce the beautiful shade, the beautiful apples, the beautiful oxygen um, that we we then benefit from. So that metaphor is that if it doesn't selfishly take care of itself Mm. and its cup is not full to give as much as it gives – to us. And so I think we all know when we really start to look at it, that taking care of ourselves and and loving ourselves in a healthy way. So being selfish in a healthy way, and I'm going to just say something more on that in a second, is the key to being able to give without resenting what we give and without manipulating based on what we give and without expecting something in return based on what we give. Hmm. And as human beings, we know a lot about conditional love and we know very little about unconditional love, which is where we're all growing toward. So in my experience, there's two types of selfishness. There's healthy selfishness and there's unhealthy selfishness. So when you don't look at your emotions and you don't take care of yourself and you drink and you smoke and you don't eat well and you become toxic inside, that to me is unhealthy selfishness because basically you don't care about yourself. And because our relationship to ourselves determines how we relate to other people, if you don't take care of yourself and you're not very good to yourself, that's how you're going to relate to other people. So if you're uh, aggressive and, and uncaring towards yourself, well, you're going to be aggressive and uncaring towards other people. But on the other hand, if you take really good care of yourself and you you know you take care of your body and you value your emotional life and you express that and you're kind to yourself in that way and you're accepting of yourself in that way, then that's how you're going to relate to other people. So there's a huge misperception around the concept of selfishness. And we often use that to manipulate people. If we call people selfish, typically we're, we're manipulating them because we're expecting something of them that we're not necessarily prepared to do for ourselves. And we're all very good at manipulating for what we what we think we want and need, because most of us have only learned uh, how to get what we want in life through manipulation.
0: Hmm. We're hmm.
1: both just sitting here absorbing
0: wow. all of all of this. Well, you know, we we give different answers to people on different levels, Blake, about this idea of self love and selfishness and. I have to say that I, I, I do agree that certainly you must love yourself. You must experience that before you can distribute that love around. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. And I think people can grasp it at that level. But when you do get into the other areas, as you said, you use the example of parenting, for example, people do have a difficulty accepting that that is a selfish act, you know, that, that, that they they believe they're doing something very, very benevolent and very, very unselfish, you know? Yes.
1: So wait, wait, I want to mention something here about this. So Blake, what about the parents who, in my case specifically, who had a mother who said, you know, I was an accident. She never wanted me. She never wanted any of us actually. And, um, being the good Catholic girl who didn't use birth control, you know. Pregnancies just happened. Now, I know she loves me, but as a child and certainly, you know, as a fetus in the womb feeling like you're not wanted, you know, one of my own difficulties is struggling with that whole I'm not wanted throughout my whole entire life, you know. Absolutely. And uh, do you have any advice? Because I've certainly done – a lot of work on it, but inevitably something will happen and it will trigger that reaction in me again. And, you know, I say the same old pattern, blah, 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 even though, you know, your intellectual mind knows that it's not the truth. But emotionally, you still experience that in varying ways. So any advice on that one? Because my sister had it as well. I never knew she had the same issue uh, until she was later in her life but that's a that's a hard one you know because in that way when you're brought into a family like that um, at least from my mother's point of view taking care of us was perceived as a sacrifice right so any advice on that one (laughs)
2: absolutely absolutely (laughs) absolutely. It's it's ironic because this is really where I've been focusing quite a bit on on the things that I'm teaching lately, um, because I've had similar experiences and feelings myself, even in my own family of feeling like a burden, um, you know, feeling like a problem. And and all of us, to some degree, feel that it's just that's for some of us a lot more extreme. And in your case, um, you know, it'd be very extreme because it's so, you know, blunt and blatant that that's how your mother felt. Um, so there's a few layers that are important. I find important to kind of address or a perspective to kind of put in place. And the first part of that is that if you, I don't know, do you believe that we choose our parents? Is I that do. part of your yes, belief I system? Do. I do. Yeah. So, so I, so I believe equally, if our parents selfishly have us, I actually believe we selfishly that this is, it's not, it's not about an, uh, an ultimate truth, but I'm of the mind that basically all beliefs are illusions and some belief beliefs hold the power to set us free. And I have found that this belief in particular is the ultimate belief to set us free in this circumstance, which is that we selfishly chose our parents because they were the perfect teachers for us. So not that we just choose them, but just like they selfishly had us, uh, even if they didn't want us because they didn't know how to say no or... You know how to make a different choice. They were disempowered. We selfishly chose them. Now, that doesn't obviously release um, all the pain that's stored in the body from experiencing this pain throughout our life, but it's a beginning because the perception basically unlocks you know, all the, the perception basically unlocks the pain. So, you know, that's coming from a hundred percent responsibility that I chose this and coming from that a hundred percent responsibility. And then there's no aspect of our psyche or our life that we, we can't heal if we want to. So that's, to me, you know, just the kind of, just the perspective. So then there are all the feelings that are obviously stuck in your body. So you probably will continue to create situations um, and relationships to experience the pain until you fully, fully get the lesson and fully heal what's stuck in your body. And that if it's been going on for, you know, I don't know how many years you suffered in that way before you really started to wake up and heal. Um, But I'm sure it was a number of years where you were relating to yourself based on that dynamic and that caused a lot of pain. And the lesson underneath that, to me, is always about learning, like I was saying in the beginning, about accepting everything that you are feeling and expressing that. So really living from your truth in every moment of every day, instead of making yourself wrong, because in that situation, like you had with your with your mom, and actually, I had the same with my mom. Um, it just wasn't as blatant or, um, you know, talked about in the same way. And a lot of people do experience this, but they're totally unconscious of this because it wasn't blatantly said. We learn to feel guilty for feeling the way that we do, and we learn to feel guilty for existing. So yeah. first, I would say you you would feel guilty for existing, right? And and then after that, you feel guilty for having feelings, and you feel guilty for having needs and you feel guilty for having desires and dreams. And so as kids, we learn to make that stuff wrong inside of us and internalize it in exchange for love, in exchange for approval in exchange for security and to keep the peace. And I'm sure if you look back on your life, you've probably done that in every relationship to carry on. You've know, you probably denied quite a few different aspects of yourself because you didn't feel like you had a right to be here or a right to feel what you were feeling or need what you needed or want what you want. Um, And so the solution to that, though, is to one, be aware of it. And then two, to know that you have to be true to yourself in your your personal relationships in you know your work life like you like to the utmost extent so every moment of every day like no compromises and not in a stubborn sense but that you're you're really addressing what you're feeling deep down that maybe you've denied your whole life or subtly you're aware you're denying in a certain relationship or a certain situation. Because if, if you are still denying anything, you're continuing to reject yourself and recreate that initial rejection. So that's, That's what, that's the symptom of that initial rejection is that we continue to reject ourselves and then we seek for acceptance and uh, appreciation and for people to value us and recognize us externally because we still haven't valued and accepted a very deep part of us that's tied up with a lot of pain. from, from early in life.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and you, you feel sadness as well, because you just want to, you want other people to have joy
2: because of you, not the other. Right. And, and it's not personal though, too. I think that's important to know is that, you know, it was never about you to begin with, you know, it was always about her. And that goes back to the selfish, you know, it was never about you and it was never, you could be the most loved and wanted child, but it was never about you either. It was always about, it was always about them from this perspective. So, so it's not, it's not personal
0: well here's a question that spawns off that one blake and it's about the way religions treat suffering you know most religions will regard suffering as you know as the way to god the way to christ all of that kind of thinking and people have imbibed that into their way of life as well that you know we opened the program today talking about learning through adversity when you use those adjectives like um, suffering and feeling unwanted and all of those kinds of th- conditions is there a state of being where you can be in self-love or be selfless in your loving and and still be truly happy in this environment on this planet yes mm-hmm. Okay give it, <laughs> <laughs> give it to us'
1: another hour
2: Give it to us <laughs> well, you just said is it is it possible so that's the i mean that's that's the that's our calling is to face our suffering head on, feel it instead of run from it and deny it and pretend it's not there, and then also learn how to to not create more suffering so basically to get the lesson as quickly as we can. As fully as we can, so that we stop creating more suffering to learn more lessons, um, so that we can ultimately just find some peace and enjoy the sunshine, enjoy fresh air, enjoy good coffee or good food or a good conversation or making love or um, painting a piece of art or you know doing something else that's expressive of of our soul, of our you know of our heart. Right. So yes, yes, absolutely, there is. Definitely life a a big big life beyond suffering. Um, but I do I do feel that at this stage in our in our evolution that there some degree of suffering is necessary because it's only and also in a human body, it's only through experiencing sadness that we know its opposite. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's part of part of what we sign up here. I I know that I'm sure you would agree. I mean, sometimes it, it can feel good to feel sad. Do you yes. know what I mean? To, to well, For your Blake, soul to experience this deep, rich feeling yes. in the body.
0: Yeah. Let me let me hold you there. I want you to hold that thought because we do have to take a very, very quick little studio break here. And when we come back, I want to go into that whole aspect of of the necessity for or that we perceive the necessity for suffering and then to look at going beyond suffering. But let us remind our listeners that we're speaking with Blake D. Boyer, who's written a fantastic book called You Were Not Born to Suffer, Love Yourself Back to Inner Peace, Health, Happiness, and Fulfillment. Do stay with us. We'll be right back after this break.
2: Years of research,
1: thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions miles of transcripts,
2: months of listening, a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you. Join worldofempowerment.com today, a members-only website of practical spirituality for your fast-changing world, worldofempowerment.com.
1: And welcome back. Now, once again, we're talking with Blake Bauer about his wonderful book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. And before we were, we took the break, we were having a conversation about the necessity or lack of suffering in this world, our 3D world, where obviously everything is polarized um, into opposites. But Blake, what I want to ask you is, do you believe it's possible to, well, first of all, let's talk about your perceived benefits.
2: So you're saying, how do I, what do I perceive to be yeah, the benefits of
1: as you see it, what are the perceived benefits of suffering and then how do you get say, out of it?
2: <laughs> I would say the compassion and the understanding that comes from suffering that then allows us to meet other people with a certain depth of awareness around what they might be experiencing is a, is a great benefit. I think uh, strength is a great byproduct of suffering. Um, I opened my book with a, a chapter on the butterfly and I talk about a story I once read about a woman who brought two butterfly cocoons into her home that were about to hatch. Mm-hmm. And the story goes that she, she wanted to help the butterflies get out of their cocoon and, and to observe the process. So, but, but she let the first one go and, and she watched this first butterfly make its way out of its cocoon. And from her perspective, it struggled quite intensely. Um, And once it had gotten out of its cocoon, it had laid and rested for a while. Then eventually it got up and it flew. Mm -hmm. And she she didn't want the second butterfly to struggle as much as the, the the first butterfly had. So she took a razor blade and she cut down the center of the second butterfly's cocoon and opened it up thinking that she was helping the second butterfly. And the second butterfly laid there just like the first one did, but it never got up. It never flew and eventually it died. Oh. And she was very confused by by that. And she happened to have a friend who was a biologist and she asked, she told the friend the story and she asked the friend what she thought of what had happened. And the friend said that the struggle that the butterfly goes through in pushing its – wings up and get up against the inside of the cocoon and pushing itself out. And that whole process hmm. actually forces a liquid from deep inside the, the butterfly's body cavity out into the tiny capillaries in the wings of the butterfly. Hmm. And that that struggle is the process that gives the, the butterfly's wings, the strength to fly. Uh. And so I like, liken that metaphor to our, to our soul's journey here on earth that, you know, it's our struggles that give us the strength to become a free and full expression of who we are. And ultimately that's unconditional love. Right.
1: Well, one of the questions that Ahano often asks is why do we, why do we come here in the first place, Blake? I mean, hmm. why do, if we're in spirit and we're supposedly in this uh, state of, you know, our true essence is spirit. Yes. Why do we come down into a physical form where things are, where we don't remember and things are difficult and it's almost like you've, you've got to start all over again and uh, emerge into this world that is, you know, for many people feels very unnatural.
2: Mm. For me, I can say that I came here to enjoy remembering like the process, the adventure of waking up again within a body has been quite exciting, even though it's been painful. Mm -hmm. And I think I came here and I I believe it's true for all of us. I believe we, you know, I feel we come here to enjoy fresh air, to enjoy the feeling of the sun on our body, to enjoy like the things that we love. Like I love coffee and I love good food Um, and I love I love women and I love making love and I love intimacy um, and I love looking into the eyes of another soul and uh, having a deep and meaningful conversation. I love that I can speak like I am now and send out a vibration into the universe that you can comprehend with your ears and that we can create uh, radio programs that go out in the ether, you know? So I think that's, you know, why we come here to experience that, to experience, you know, love in a human body, love for everything and anything, anything that we love. Hmm. Um, and that if we can learn, and to me, everything comes back to learning to love ourselves. So if if we can learn to love ourselves, which is the key to healing pain and preventing pain, Hmm. then we can start to enjoy, life so much more in a human body
0: right now when people talk about love self-love being selfish and so on is there a connection to the whole process of forgiveness and how close is that connection
2: um yes there is and you mean a connection between forgiveness and Learning uh, to love ourselves, would you say? Yeah.
0: And let's look at a practical situation with you. You outlined your background where you were on drugs and causing suffering to yourself and to others. And do you think that the self-love came about with you by forgiving yourself or by forgiving your parents or forgiving others or whatever was necessary? Do you think forgiveness played an important part in that
2: growth of self-love for you? I would say it's probably, probably one of, one of the top, uh, top most important aspects of self love. Um, so yes, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: And here's a question for you. And it came up for us oh, a few years ago when, um, Angel Rose was actually on an, an interview on coast to coast and, uh, she was talking about this process of forgiveness. And the host wasn't really enamored about forgiving murderers, for example. And you could tell in the venom that was in his voice, in the way he was saying, no, no, if people, other people call suffering, then they've got to suffer too, and they must pay the price and so on. So where do you think the process of forgiveness and thereafter self-love
2: begins or ends? I think it always begins with ourselves because if if you're angry at anybody um, and you're having trouble forgiving them, it's typically a gap in understanding. And if you're honest with yourself, you will recognize that we all make mistakes. We all hurt people unintentionally. And if you have forgiven yourself for the mistakes, the perceived mistakes you've made in your life, and if you've, you know, you've you've understood why you've hurt other people because you were hurting or because you were suffering, eventually you will reach a point of forgiving yourself, and then you'll have a much more uh, clear understanding of why someone's reacting and being angry or bitter or cruel, mm-hmm. um, and thus be able to to forgive them. And then, too, I mean, in a lot of our closer relationships, and not in the most extreme senses like murder, but I'm sure we could actually apply this to that as well. You'll, you, if you dissect it enough, you can always find that you allowed yourself to be hurt. So, if someone you perceive that someone has hurt you, if you dissect it enough, you'll always find that you allowed yourself to be hurt because you believe something to be other than it was. You didn't say no you allowed yourself to be in a situation to be taken advantage of or abused, and you didn't say no because you didn't know how. And it's not about blaming yourself, it's just you just didn't know how. Yeah. And again, like I said a bit earlier, is, is if we really wanna be free, we have to take 100% responsibility for everything that's happened in our lives, or else there's gonna be some aspect of our consciousness that remains a victim. Um Now there's a few more things I could say on the topic of forgiveness. Um, one of the one of them is that there's a one of the last chapters in my book is called the Final Question. And that came because I got to this point where, like I'm sure both of you, um, you know, I had realized that I was one with the universe and one with God. And I was 100 percent responsible for my life and I'd created my life and I chose my parents. And I was, you know, not my ego or the false self that I had at once believed myself to be. Um, so I got to this point where all, I knew all those things were true and I and going back to that idea that I'm one with God or one with that universal intelligence, and that I created and chose my entire experience of life, the question came up, the logical question of why would I ever choose to suffer, which is very much tied up with what you just asked me, you know, a few minutes ago. And that played on my mind for so long. Why would I ever choose to suffer? Which is the same question as why would God create suffering? And that that relates obviously to a situation like murder or to, you know, genocide or, you know, it's the same, like why would God create famine, all those major forms of suffering that exist in the world. And eventually what, what came to me so clearly after, you know, asking this question of myself and of the universe, um, you know perceived let's say separately and as one um, eventually what came was that we choose to suffer in coming into this arc incarnation because that sets in motion the ultimate lesson of self-love and unconditional love so when we make the choice to incarnate and to suffer we then create the lesson of needing to forgive ourselves and that's the uncondition that's the essence of unconditional love for ourselves and then it's also the essence of unconditional love for another because basically you can't love another unconditionally unless you love yourself unconditionally Mm -hmm. and you can't love yourself unconditionally unless you've forgiven yourself for the pain you've caused or allowed and then you can look through those eyes to other people and forgive them for any pain they've caused in the past because they were suffering or any attempted pain they're trying to cause now because they're suffering. Um, and then and then as time went on, I began to realize that there's actually only one key to forgiveness. And that key is to not let yourself get hurt anymore in the present. So, because all issues of forgiveness go back to forgiving ourselves and either hurting ourselves or allowing ourselves to get hurt, and all hurt, if all hurt is self created through not honoring ourselves, through not expressing what we feel and think and want and need in the present, and not acting based on that, is that basically if we learn to do that now, meaning we are always true to ourselves and never betraying ourselves that is the key to forgiveness is to never hurt yourself anymore and never let yourself get hurt anymore and by doing that in the present because all the past is present by doing that in the present that's the key to forgiving everything that's come before that's been painful Mm. and that to me has been really important to understand that that's the key to forgiveness is to not let myself get hurt anymore and not hurt myself anymore
1: but, Blake, you don't really believe that God causes suffering or famines, do you?
2: Yes, I, well, I do if everything has a purpose and, and God is all-knowing. So, again, I think all of that is designed to teach us about compassion and about love. So I think it's a it's a you know, it's like we see these um, extremes in the world, extreme wealth and extreme poverty. And there's an imbalance and the imbalance is there to shift our perception and to create more compassion so that we can, I think, rebalance.
1: Well, I wouldn't agree with you on that one, but that's all
2: right. Well, why do you think why would you say there's there's famine or suffering or
1: I think it's all caused by people's belief systems right and um and I don't think those come from God I think they're taught through generations yeah but I think that we're well we're obviously in a cyclic reality and I think you have light and dark and good and bad as a consequence but I also think it's because of the way the brain is in two hemispheres So we see dualistically, but anything that goes on that is huge like that is all, I think it does come from imbalances, but I think people do create those imbalances by their perceptions and what they believe, which brings me to the next question about the ego okay you do mention that you think the ego was created as an act of self-love and I know that there's many spiritual teachings that talk about um, subduing the ego or getting rid of the ego and not saying that I agree with that either but what's your perception of the ego and how do you believe that it is an act of self-love to create an ego
2: well, I think, I think in, to to preface, preface this um, point, it's going to address what we were talking about previously, okay. is that if we look at the universe as God, everything inside of God and the universe is purposeful and meant to be. And if God is love, then everything is also a part of that love, even if we don't understand it or are perception is limited at the time. So in my experience, it's like if we are if we're going to make any aspect of ourselves wrong or bad or negative, then that's a part of us where there's no love. You know, we're not accepting that part of us. We're not welcoming that part of us. We're not loving that part of us and we're not seeing really the purpose that that part of us has served. And this is a really important point because I think that if we continue to make what we call the ego wrong, we will never ever be able to embody unconditional love and we will never be able to love ourselves unconditionally. So for me, my perception is that as a child to protect myself from pain i created a separate self and i believe this is the truth for all of us that as children we're so vulnerable and we we feel like we don't have any control that in our mind we create an ego or a separate self because if in my head i can regulate who i think i am it gives me some sense even if it's a false sense of control you know this is who i am this is what i wear These are the posters I put on my wall. And I'm basically trying to find myself and define myself and individuate myself from my family, which is often a place where I feel very misunderstood or unsupported or unloved or unwanted. And so we develop this aspect of ourselves to give us a false sense of control in a world where we feel quite helpless and powerless. And so I believe like the same way a caterpillar creates a cocoon, to protect itself while it goes through the transformation to become a butterfly in my experience we create an ego to protect our heart and our soul while we go through the healing and the awakening and the process of getting stronger until eventually we can love ourselves and heal the pain that's underneath our ego and as we heal the pain and we realize that we don't need to live in fear anymore the walls of the ego come down the walls of separation Come down, and we break through that limiting, uh, separate self, fear-based, uh, separate self, to embody a free and full of expression of ourselves, just like the butterfly coming out of a cocoon. So that metaphor of the cocoon of a butterfly is how I see the but- the the ego, and that as kids, it's a, it's out of self love that we created, mm-hmm. but also our liberation from it is an act of self love as well. Right. And, and my book came when I heard the words, once I love myself unconditionally, loving another becomes an act of self love. So once I love myself unconditionally, loving another becomes an act of self love. And the, the importance of that is that, you know, when you love your partner, or you love someone else, you are loving yourself because there's no separation. But if we haven't done the work and healed all the unconscious aspects of ourselves, then we're typically loving conditionally and we're also focusing on others to avoid looking at what we haven't healed within ourselves. And so it, there's aspects of that love that's kind of tainted or not as pure as it could be and, and we're destined to, right. to experience. Yes, yes.
0: Oh, you have on your book uh, beautifully presented Butterfly in the... The palm of somebody's hands and it's really, really uh, very attractively laid out. It's a beautiful graphics and it became the Australian bestseller and number one bestselling spiritual title on amazon.com. Australia in 2014 and early 2015 that's an absolutely marvellous accomplishment can you tell us briefly as we move towards the end of our programme and uh, let's just remind our listeners we're speaking with Blake Bauer who is the author of You Were Not Born to Suffer and in this book which was published in Australia are the Australian people in general now Blake moving more towards this condition of self-love selfishness and self-love or are they in general entrenched in a kind of a 3d money grabbing kind of greedy environment like a lot of other countries?
2: I think that that, um, it's this it's similar to any of the other uh, developed countries like you know the UK and London and the United States and um, you know I think we're all struggling in the same way to learn these lessons mm-hmm. so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they're um, that much more ahead um, spiritually in that respect mm-hmm. I think you know Australia has been rated some of the best places to live in the world and I think you know some maybe people here, some people know how to enjoy life a bit more, right. but that's not necessarily the most conscious process. It's more of a maybe a natural process. Um, the country here is quite large, uh, but the population is quite small, so there's a bit more space for everybody. Even mm-hmm. though a lot of it's desert, um, you can feel that it's not as overcrowded as, right. a, as a lot of the U.S. Yes. Um but i did want to say you know because it's such an important point this whole concept of selfishness and selflessness it's really important to 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 make this kind of final point which is that you know selflessness and selfishness only exist because of each other you know they're they're one side of the same coin yes so there's no separation. So when there's no separation between selfishness and selflessness, right? Because when you love someone else, you're loving yourself. And when you love yourself, you're loving the other person. But the key is what's not been healed or addressed or transformed within us, which a healthy form of selfishness leads us towards and as we do that, and we really heal and we wake up and, and become to some degree enlightened, then our selfishness naturally becomes selflessness because our cup is full of love and wisdom and kindness and that, that selfishness turns into selflessness because there, in the end, there's no separation it's just a concept and the concept helps us to navigate being human beings and healing the pain from the past and helps us to understand how not to create pain for ourselves in the present and moving forward and that really becomes the most selfless act because then we're bringing obviously that peace and that kindness and that understanding you know into the world into our relationships and then we can because we're not Trapped in our own suffering and trapped in our own limiting beliefs, then we can actually be of service. So that's how, you know, healthy selfishness in the form of self-love turns turns into selflessness. But right. at the Very same time well at the same time, it's still always selfish because it's what you want to do because it feels good. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's right. meant to feel good. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yes, I agree so. with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, you also have wonderful exercises in your book, I noticed, on talking to the inner child and all of us having a dialogue with your own inner child and having it have a dialogue with you. And I would encourage people to get your book just for those little gems that are in there by themselves because uh, they're so revealing, especially in terms of what we're talking about, about healing the unhealed parts of yourself and Discovering what that inner child still needs or wants or wants to say, oftentimes it's all back there, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and it brings me to something I wanted to say that I picked up on when you you guys first opened the show, which is that, you know, we have to give ourselves permission huh? to be honest and to to heal. So we have to give ourselves permission to express our feelings and to act authentically in the present starting now. And this is, I was going to say for you guys, this issue is all tied up with the same thing that I, I think you guys should give yourself permission to be in a uh, climate <laughs> that you love. So if you want to be around warmer <laughs> weather, it's the same, it's the same issue. Like the guilt for wanting to be that happy, the guilt, yeah. you know what well, I mean? It's all well, tied came, up with that we, same.
1: We came here to be with our granddaughter, you
0: see.
2: Yes. Okay. So yes, so that's the selfish part of it. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you one let me ask you one final question, Blake, and it's about the uh, the way your book came into physical reality. And yes. you, you spoke somewhat about journaling when you were coming out of the the pain and the suffering from your early years. Were you journaling at that point in time? Did you realize that y- you might be writing down what would ultimately become a book
2: no not at that stage I did journal back when I was like 18 years old and I was all this pain was coming out of me and mm-hmm. because I felt so alone in the world I would often write you know like dear god dear universe yes. um, this is what I'm feeling today this is what's going on inside of me and it was really dark and um I actually remember throwing this this big diary away mm-hmm. because I was at that at that point, I was still so afraid of anybody knowing what was going on inside of my heart and my mind. I had not obviously accepted that right. fully. so that that was that. and then um, you know eventually just over time, I would journal certain things. Um, and just write my thoughts down, um, but no, I didn't know it was going to be a book until basically I knew a hundred a hundred percent that it was going to be a book. That that was the reason that I had that I had come to the planet. Um, ironically, I look back, I I wrote a poem when I was about seven years old about my parents' divorce. And um, my teacher submitted it to some competition in the United States, and I won a national competition for this poem on divorce that I then read aloud at a Barnes & Noble um, to a few hundred people. And I found that um, after I'd published my book, and I thought that that was really ironic because I never – I never had the inkling that that's what I'd come here for. That's right. Um, I, knew, I knew I'd come for something, but I wasn't sure what. So um, it was interesting to find that poem that was uh, about my parents' divorce, which was obviously tied up with a lot of the the wounds that I chose to experience and, and have had to heal yes. um, in this lifetime.
0: Yes. Hmm. Now, you were not born to suffer, teaches the reader how to practically love, honor, value, accept forgive, be true to, believe in and respect oneself as the key to healing and preventing mental, emotional and physical suffering. It has proven to be an authoritative guide to finding inner peace, health, happiness and fulfillment. What a beautiful way to close. We are absolutely delighted that you came on with us today, Blake. It's been a pleasure and it has been enlightening for us. And you've answered a lot of questions for ourselves and no doubt our listeners.
2: Thank and you I'm so sure much for could, having me.
1: We could extend this into many interviews talking about specific aspects of this. And we probably will invite you on again if
2: you're open to it. That sounds lovely. Yes, it was okay. lovely to chat with you both. Super. All, <laughs> All right. right. Just before we go,
0: give out your website and where people can get hold of your book.
2: Yes, my website is unconditional love. Dot com. And if you Google You Were Not Born to Suffer, you can find the book online and it's on Amazon in, uh, you know, paperback, in audio and Kindle. Um, so Amazon's probably the best place to find it. Super! All right.
0: Great. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thank you both, too, so much. All right. Blessings and bye bye. And to you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Rose and Ahanu on World
0: of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a
1: changing world.